Hello and welcome back to On the Battlefield with Father Michael Marcantoni and me, Father Joseph Collins, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst the struggles and suffering of life. Father Michael just told me that he graduated from high school and I am so proud. Oh, so very proud. Why don't you tell everybody out there in podcast land where they can find us online and on social media? Outstanding. Yes, thank you. Uh, of course, you can find on the battlefield our main hosting site that is Anchor FM, our main platform where it shares out to Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and on social media on the battlefield podcast on Facebook, where we do also share a lot of related uh, materials. And keep your eyes peeled because very soon we will be beginning some uh, some on the battlefield, some shorts, uh, audio, video on YouTube and Rumble. Uh, to sort of shore up the non-podcast weeks, the other two weeks in the month. So keep your eyes open for that. Share the content out and do send us your messages so we can keep this more of a dialogue rather than a monologue. Thank you, Father Michael. So the context, if everyone was wondering for why he would say such a thing as he graduated from high school, which is so obvious if he's a priest with a master's degree, was that we are going to talk about crisis management and catastrophizing today. And these are awful big words, and I was really impressed that he knew them. And he's positing to me that somehow he learned them in high school, which I really disbelieve. Never use, never use an amply concise lexicon when being overtly loquacious will suffice. <laughs> Thank you for that. So crisis management and catastrophizing, something that uh, once we start to unpack this will become very obvious to how much obvious to hopefully all of you, how much we see of this in, in our day to day. Um, you know, whether it be from uh, reading articles or seeing videos online talking about the end of days and the tribulation of the church, which is already here, according to some or our trying to manage that perceived crisis in our and how we perceive that crisis being managed in our lives and all the things that we do to try to manage the perceived and imminent crisis is what we are going to talk about today, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I mean, it, it, and a lot of it comes from uh, the Christian perception of, of prophecies, both from the Old Testament and the new, uh, particularly Daniel and the apocalypse or the revelation of John about Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, Father Michael, let's start with a question, a question that I've already asked you, but I think it took us into some nice directions in, in prep time. So here's the question. Is, is prophecy given primarily to us? to live our lives according to, or is it given so that we can see God's faithfulness and to in turn glorify him or a nice combination of both? What do you think? Well, so we got to put together, in my opinion, we got to put together a couple words that are, that get, that get put into the same space, especially here in North America. So, uh, if you're talking about the prophetic and the apocalyptic, they're going to go together in our modern American landscape. And neither one of them 
are getting used the way they were originally used. So, you know, so a prophet, profitis, is one who speaks on behalf of. So we, it, we've talked about the idea that as God's imagers, we are his, like his ambassadors and his embassies. Um, so like when the ambassador speaks, right, he's speaking on behalf of the head of state. So like if you get, um, if you get, like if we were to, if you had the 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 Greek ambassador come and speak at York at the cathedral, he's representing not just the nation of Greece, but specifically the head of state. I have no idea who that is, but he's representing the head of state. So if he if he says something authoritative there, um, it's as if the head of state were saying it. Now, you know, so that means there's got to be, that means there's got to be a certain amount of lockstep because he has to be an accurate imager of him or else he's done. He's gone, right? You can't, you can't inaccurately represent him and expect to remain in that position. So the prophet is God's man. The prophet is the one who gets to say, thus saith the Lord. And he's an accurate imager and an accurate mouthpiece for what the Lord is saying. When prophecy happens, prophets are usually, if you're looking, right, if you are looking at, uh, if you're looking at the Old Testament, prophets tend to um, speak about things that are happening imminently, that are going on in the nation of Israel, that are happening among God's people, and they speak about it. And then, apocalyptically, the, that can have uh, greater ramifications going forward, where it's fulfilled sometimes multiple times, in multiple occasions, before it is finally, uh, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Like, for instance... Um, you know, there's the, I, I have called, you know, that I have called my son out of Egypt, right? Well, I mean, ultimately that's fulfilled in, in Christ, you know, in the gospel narrative where the, the Christ child and, uh, Mary and Joseph, the betrothed, you know, returned from Egypt, uh, after they're no longer seeking to kill him as a boy. But I mean, you know, if we're looking if we're looking apocalyptically, it's like, well, okay, uh, how the, there's there's Joseph going down into the land of Egypt, right? He's sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers, um, and, and that becomes a type and figure of Christ. Um, you've got the nation of Israel being called out of Egypt, um, but this sort of scenario, and then the exile to Babylon, um, this sort of being called out of the exile and called out of the land of death into life and into return to paradise and the promised land happens multiple times throughout the history of the people of God. It reaches its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. So why do I keep saying apocalyptically? Well, you know, as, as many have mentioned, and, and I, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, there's other podcasts that have talked about this recently and it's, and it's not the first time, I've heard it, but it's bears saying again, the word apocalypsis in Greek just means to reveal it's the unre- unveiling, the unreveal, the unveiling or revealing. In other words, it is the spiritual metaphysic of what's happening. So it may not be at the end of the world, but you're looking at, uh, for, so in the, in the technical use of the term theologically, you're looking at when you're talking about something as apocalyptic, you're not talking about just 
an end of the world scenario, although that is the ultimate unveiling, right? That is the ultimate revealing because it is the last judgment and everything is unveiled and everything is revealed. That's the ultimate one. But when apocalyptic literature, like the book of Daniel, like the text of Enoch, like all of these second temple literature and uh, like the books of the prophets in the Old Testament, you're looking and saying that from God's perspective, from the perspective of the spiritual word and God's perspective and the perspective of the spirit, what is behind this? What is the spiritual content and meaning of these events? What does this point to? What is what is unveiled and revealed as behind all of this? Because, you know, the 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 world sees just a young girl, uh, you know, a, a maiden pregnant with a child. But apocalyptically unveiled, that is the Theotokos bearing you know, the second person of the Trinity in her womb. I mean, you can't see that under a microscope, but it's the spiritual reality behind what you can see if your eyes were unveiled. And and you get a sense of that. And we'll stop with this. You get a sense of that in um, in the Old Testament, you know, right, where, where Elijah, you know, where his uh, his servant is is terrified before a battle and Elijah opens his eyes and they see the heavenly host around him. And he says, you know, those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. And, and the sense is, it's not that the heavenly host suddenly arrived. It's that the, the prophet's servant couldn't see what was there. That had not been revealed to him. It was still veiled. Once he was unveiled, God's immediate assistance became very clear. Um, so prophetically, what is it? What does it mean for something to be, how, how, how are we meant to live by prophecy? Um, I mean, yes and no, uh, because in the sense that are we meant to live by figuring out what God is going to do in 15 years or in five years? No, because you don't have that knowledge. Um, in the other sense, you are kind of called to live a prophetic life in that you are called to look at the state of your life and the decisions that you make and judge them not as the world would judge them, but according to the spirit and say, while this may look good to men and to my neighbors and to those uh, around me, by the standard of Christ and the standard of the gospel, this spiritually deviates. Um, you know, the standard of the world may say, um, it's okay to have a wondering eye as long as you don't touch where Christ says, no, if you've already looked at another woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So what is the spiritual metaphysic behind the imminent reality? Uh, if, we, if we are called to live according to prophecy, it's in that sense that we're called in the spirit to look at the meta, spiritual metaphysic, the gospel behind what we are doing, when we are doing it, um, and not simply the bare data of life, but also not to, not to spiritually gift wrap, uh, future tripping and say, Oh no, we're just, it's just, we're, we're being prepared when you're really just being anxious about a bunch of stuff you have no control over. That's a whole other ball of wax. I agree with you. And I would, I would add, I guess I would add that that when 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 we read these the the apocalyptic literature and 
we read the prophecies that sometimes, and I, and I see this in, in our modern American context, and, and I don't think it's anything new. I think that this sort of temptation has been around for a very long time, so don't misunderstand me. But that when we read these these prophecies and when we read these the apocalyptic literature that we tend to want to be able to understand it when we and sometimes we don't understand it because the the realities that will allow the the apocalypse the unveiling to actually happen are are still veiled and we can't see it perfectly so and what we do see we want to understand or we might interpret it as as being active and happening right now in our own personal lives so we start to live in a way to to manage that crisis that perceived crisis like for example if the mark of the beast is coming even though i don't know when or how i can create all sorts of scenario in my mind and in my life where i'm going to overcome it or i'm going to beat it or when the people come on my door to give it to me that that they will be vanquished and vexed by by my decisions and that sort of crisis management when it starts to be Im implemented into our lives is very unhealthy and it's very damaging for reasons like you said it, it's it's future tripping anxiety because we don't know and, and a lot of us like myself sometimes i'm not willing to tell you i don't know i've gotten better at it the older i've gotten be able to look people in the eye and say i really don't know i have no idea this is what I think, but I could be wrong. Um, and then when we, we have that sort of, we build those sorts of crisis management decisions into our lives, and, we, and then we start catastrophizing, sometimes we go down some really dangerous roads, and we start to badmouth bishops, we start to doubt the church, and we start to try to take things far too seriously into our hands. And we get to places where, like you see, even in the Orthodox Church, where, this, where, this, where there is this really seriously unhealthy democratization happening, where people are picking and choosing which bishops to listen to, picking and choosing which priests are correct and which are not, um, picking and choosing and cherry-picking proof texts from, from saints, and going in some pretty wild directions. Um, and that's not why... God gave us the prophecies for the apocalyptic literature at all. He didn't give them to us in order for us to go down all these demonic side roads and be deceived and be anxious. He gave them to us so that we could have joy and love him for his faithfulness. Well, my big problem with it is that in doing all of that, we... We neglect the things that actually are within our power and are in front of us to do right now. Um, you know, Christ says to us, you know, what he says about the end is neither, you know, neither the day nor the hour. Be you therefore watchful. That's it. That's all you know. So you know what's going to happen, you know, to be watchful. But he spends the overwhelming bulk of his teaching on how to live a repentant life, on how to live in communion with the Father, on how to be uh, what Paul will later call a temple of the Holy Spirit. Like that's because that's within your power to do right now. Um, you may or may not, you may or may not in your lifetime see the end of days. 
but you will die. You know, we have we have a, a life of prayer and repentance to live today. And if we're attending to these crises, these things are out of our control, well, you know, we can be a little bit short with our kids or we can be impatient uh, at work or rude or whatever because we're attending to greater things at hand. Well, what happens if those greater things don't come to pass? You've missed all the opportunities that were in front of you to be holy and good and Christian. Um, and the reality is, we we all want this dramatic battlefield cinematic set piece where we're the one we're the protagonist charging across the field against these cosmic apocalyptic forces well i mean you, you can't you don't even handle the frustrations of a long line at Kroger well you don't you, you don't even handle like traffic on the way to work or you know you, you, or the kids interrupting you while you're trying to read a book well you know, what makes you, the temptations of Facebook are too much for you. So like, what makes you think you're doing the things that are necessary in order to take on the one who invented temptation in the first place? So I guess my point is, um, we may or, you may or may not get that big dramatic set piece, but if you're not being attentive to the life of daily repentance in front of you, you won't be ready for it if it does happen. So being sober and vigilant, like the five wise virgins in the parable of Christ, and doing the things that are in front of you, that's that's how you're ready. And that's what it is. And that's, you know, but if, if but see, the problem is it's, it's this self-soothing thing where if we get anxious and worked up and sufficiently uh, outraged, we feel like we're doing something. And because there's no imminent uh, threat, we also get the self-soothing of going, okay, I was sufficiently outraged and it worked. I'm safe. I'm fine. No, it's just it's just you knock down a straw man and now you feel like you did something, but you didn't. Um, you know, and, and it's it's sad because you're you're not better prepared after that to actually take on the real thing. You know, so my my big thing is, you know, especially because we, we started this discussion, you and I, in, in the context of how people are dealing with everything around COVID. And there's the two, two extremes, which I find just so, I find them equally distasteful for kind of, you know, it really boils down to the same reason. It's catastrophizing. It's like, on the one hand, you've got like the people who are, are, are terrified and all their faith is only in whatever medical authorities say and they're wearing like 18 face masks and a face shield and they won't touch their dogs without gloves or something like like that's that's an extreme uh that's an unhealthy extreme and then you got the other people that that you know don't want to listen to anything about it and um you know that turn the whole thing immediately into just the mark of the beast and a, and a conspiracy and then it's like well it, it's also unhealthy because you're you're going too far in that direction, and what I'm what I'm not getting is enough people who are willing to look at this thing soberly with a sober spiritual eye. You know, has the whole thing been politically cashed in right for for power grabs by people in power given to do that sort of thing? Well, absolutely, they do that with everything. 
But I mean, are there people in hospitals? Yeah, that's also true. I mean, you know, it's like, I just wish there could be some sober, reasonable eyes on the field. But it's like, everyone's either in, in one extreme camp or another. And it's, it just makes me want to take my ball and go home. It's like, you know, like, come on, can we have a reasonable, reasonable discussion about anything? Because everyone can find their authorities to proof text for whatever they want to say. You know, whatever your position is, you can find an authority to back you up. And ultimately, as Orthodox Christians, we have to look and say, like, well, do we believe that the church is, in fact, the body of Christ guided by the Holy Spirit? Do we believe that? Because if you say yes, then you got to believe it now, too. If you say no, then how are you an Orthodox Christian? But if you say yes, then, like, let's have a little more faith in the Spirit speaking through the body that we say is His. But we all want to become our own mini-popes and our own mini-bishops. We all want to obey the bishops and obey the church until it doesn't say what we want it to say, when we want it to say it, how we want to say it. And then we know better. Yeah, it's the whole thing. We fall into this thing as human beings looking at at dynamic systems and trying to make... We try to reduce the dynamic to to its very most bare because we, we, we struggle with the complexity of life. We want things to be linear. We, we want things to be black and white because the complexity of our life is so great, probably greater today than at any time. I mean, my life is so much more complex than it was 20 years ago. And it's not because life is more complex, but because the amount of intel coming into my life is so much greater. And then, and, and then when, the, when you have that much intel coming in, then you have to be able to discern the information that you have and pick and choose which information is true and which is not. What is propaganda, what is not. So it, it adds layers to the, to the complexity of life. And we don't like, you know, humans don't deal well with complexity most of the time because it takes a lot of energy and effort. So we take the complex and we reduce it. And then when we reduce it too far, we look at complex systems and say, well, it feels like, it seems like, except what it feels like and what it seems like are not actually true most of the time because of the dy dynamism and the complexity of said system. For example, when, when we say that this iteration of the COVID-19 shot or vaccine is the mark of the beast, you are wrong. In my opinion, you are wrong because if it is the mark of the beast, then that implies that the beast is here and we know who he is. Because if, if I have a car outside and you say that's Father Joseph's car, but you don't know who Father Joseph is and he isn't known to you at all, how are you going to say that that is his? So I think we need to, to, to embrace the complexity and the dynamism of life and rest in the, the, the fact that God himself alone is sovereign, and God himself alone is faithful, and God himself alone knows the traps 
that the enemy has set and that the traps that the enemy has set will ultimately ensnare the enemy and that God's judgment will be justified and just. That's my take on that. So be careful well, with, and, with, you know, with, with yeah, making, I, too, making the complex too simple. Yeah, and I mean, you know, is the concern that it could be the mark of the beast reasonable? I think it's a reasonable concern within the scope of things to be concerned about. Do we know for sure? No, you don't. And if you're really looking at what it, uh, the problem is, the problem is, you know, what, what it says in Revelation, uh, the, the apocalypse of John, the revelation of John, uh, at the, you know, what it says is it's either the, the name or the number of the name on the right hand or on the forehead without which you cannot buy or sell. Well, I mean, there's, there's nothing that perfectly fits that description at the moment. So we, we turn it into, we, we, we turn it into a close enough metaphor where we could say, well, this could be it, or that could be it. And we're not entirely wrong. Something could be, but we don't know for sure. So we don't know for sure. So, but here's, here's the deal. One, you're, you know, you, you don't, I, I, you know, there, there's no sense within revelation that people don't know what they're doing. So I think, I think you have a valid point in saying the people who are doing it have got to know that's the mark. That's the, the text certainly implies that. And that the beast is already revealed and that text certainly implies that now, but let's, but let's go beyond that for a second. Um, when you're seeing the people who take it because they can't buy or sell, and, and there there are, uh, per, you know, there there are certain prophecies from the saints about those days who say, like, you know, Christians who are who are comfortable, who who are who are able to live with asceticism and hardship, you know, who could survive, for example, on Koliva, you know, are going to be fine. Why? Because, you know, they can do with less because they'll get creative because they'll farm because this or that, whatever. Okay. So I'm paraphrasing by greatly, but the point being is this, the point that I'm going towards is this. It's like, you may or may not be alive when something, when the mark is revealed to be the mark, and then you have to make some hard choices. But if you're already not living a life of humility, prayer, and repentance, you won't be ready to handle that either. You don't, so you don't know. You can't say for sure that this is or isn't, but you do know that the that the necessary opportunities to build a sufficiently Christian character are in fact in front of you. That you know for sure, and that's confirmed. And if you're not attentive to that, if you're not sober and vigilant to that, then you won't hold up when the mark of the beast does come. You're not going to go from being slack and inattentive to your faith and bitter and resentful uh, and, and a poor imager of the gospel to suddenly being the world class, uh, the world class hero saint of the final days, um, just out of nowhere. You know, so that's that's my that's my issue with it. Is that it's like, I mean, do do I think there's need to be concerned? Maybe. Um, I will say this. So here's, here's my, here's my, my, my take on here's, so here my, one of my takes on end of the world prophecy. Here's why I can say maybe here's my take on end of the world prophecy. So Christ says, as far as the, 
the the final day, the day that the Son of Man will return. He says, um, not even the angels in heaven know the day nor the hour, but that is known only to the Father. Okay. So if that's known only to the Father and not to the angels in heaven, even them, well, then does the devil know? Well, the answer to that is no, the devil does not know. Okay, so then how does the devil know when to send the Antichrist and the beast? If he doesn't know when the end is coming, how does he know when to send the Antichrist and the beast? Well, the only reasonable answer to that is that because he does not know, he has to have his cast of characters always in place. Because he doesn't know, he's always got to be on standby. And that's why when you look throughout history, if you look throughout the history of the Christian church, there have been dozens of people that meet the description of the Antichrist. There have been dozens of names and institutions whose names and the number of their name add up to the three sixes that that look like you that that people living at that day and age say oh this certainly looks like the end of days and he certainly does look like he could be the antichrist and and why does that happen so often it's because the devil doesn't know and so he's always got his cast of characters on standby he's always got his cast of characters ready and he's always chomping at the bit and they're always ready to go and he can look at the times and say it seems like it might be it around the corner but he doesn't know so is there something in place that could fit the bill if if things went in that direction and the end of days really did start? Yeah, there's always something in place that could fit the bill. The devil's always got something in place that could fit the bill because he doesn't know when it's coming. And if you don't know when it's coming, then you've always got to be on standby. And that's the thing. So... Are we there? I don't know. But I do know that I've got prayers to say today, and I haven't said any of them. And, and when I stand before Christ, I've got to give an accounting for that. Right. And if I don't, and if I don't take care of those prayers, I won't I won't hold up well if that day does come. And if he doesn't know, we certainly do not know. And I I cannot, I mean, it's not just one movie. It's there's a whole mess of movies where you're on a battlefield or you're in an intelligence scenario and you're, you're behind enemy lines and there's a, there's a message coming in and you only get part of the message and you can't complete the message or the mission reliably, but you have to make some really hard decisions with the lack of information. And some of these apocalyptic revelations are kind of like that for us now. We look at the signs, we look at what's going on, and we say, it's plausible. It's plausible that a vaccine could be the mark of the beast. It is plausible that, that there could be global shutdowns based on climate change and on future pandemics. Is it plausible? Yes. Is it certain? No. We simply do not know. We don't have all information. Now, what are you going to do in the uncertainty? What are you going to do in the midst of the uncertainty? Are you going to try to make things certain? And, and if so, how are you going to make things certain? Is it going to be by faith in God that he alone, like we said earlier, is sovereign, that he is to receive our glory, that we can choose to repent today? Or are we going to 
game plan all sorts of scenarios and create bunkers. I mean, and not that that's bad, right? So the devil takes these opportunities of uncertainty to lead us astray with micro-truths, like we've talked about in the past. He, he doesn't know, we don't know, and he takes those opportunities as psyops to, to drag us down Bad paths. Well, and and the th- and and to and to tie and to piggyback on your 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 theme your film theme, you know all of those type movies. You know you start out with the we gloss over the no man knows the day or the hour, and that's only known to the father. We're like yeah 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 okay Jesus, but then what is this? What do we do now? And then we're like suddenly it's like oh, we figured it out, and that's and and that's the point. And which we depart from anything remotely biblical and, and Christian. It's like, you figured it out. You figured out what is known only to the Father, and no, which no man knows the day or the hour of. You figured it out. Oh, my Lord. I mean, you know, again, it's like, and then where does our, where does our faith get placed? Well, it gets placed in what I've figured out. And what I can systematize. And suddenly, I'm my savior again. You see? Uh, it, it, it's, it's Honestly, the devil is, if the devil is, if, if I were to, oh, I'm about to, I'm about to, I, I'm trying not to sound like Steve Harvey when I say like, or not Steve Harvey, oh, who is that guy? Uh, in the sixth, Paul. Paul Harvey. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Steve Harvey's a comedian, isn't he? Okay, he's he's funny, Indeed. funny dude. You know, he actually had uh, some professional boxing fights. Like, I actually boxed, which is cool. Anyway, Steve, not Paul. Uh, Paul Harvey. You know, but he had back in the sixties, he had that whole thing where he's like, "If I was the devil, I would do this, 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 this." But like, if I were the devil, I would have like a bunch of false flags. I'd have like a bunch of things where it was like, oh false starts we're like oh that could be it oh that could be it oh that could be it and i would get people to call to cry wolf so many times that when i finally did roll out a real mark of the beast no one would listen because it'd be like you guys just cried wolf a million times and you were wrong why would we listen now except that's the real one but you've spent all of your credibility and capital i would definitely get people to spend their credibility and capital like why like you could openly do it at that point because no one's listening and that's why that's what really frustrates me about people who get too certain and make big claims because I'm like if you're wrong all of us have less credibility you better be really sure because if you're wrong if you make big apocalyptic claims and you're wrong that means that when one of us really does see something coming down the pipe less people are listening uh, and, and and that's that 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 that's why like you know, in the army, like giving, giving false, giving bad Intel is a huge before anything is a huge problem. Like you stuff gets really vetted before it goes out. I'm like, mm, that's, I have a, that's an issue. That's a real life and death issue. Like don't spend my capital for me. Yeah. Good Intel is priceless and believing bad Intel is a hopeless idea. I mean, so we need to be discerning about what sort of intel we are acting on. 
like like uh, the Bart Simpson story that you told from Iraq and uh, Saddam Hussein, right? This is bad intel. <laughs> but Did everybody such know bad that story? Intel. Yeah, you told it in a previous episode. I mean, it would oh, bear, the psyops episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it would bear retelling, but um, it just very shortly during the Iraq War back in the nineties, in an attempt to be like uh, Hitler, uh, and and sending false information into the American troops, Hitler said that that the American men that the American women back home were were cheating on their husbands to to sow uncertainty and discord within the ranks of the American soldiers. Uh, Saddam Hussein, uh, not quite so successfully, tried to do the same thing because he told the American soldiers that all the women back home were sleeping with the most famous of all American males, Bart Simpson. So the American soldiers started to drive around their Humvees and their other vehicles with Bart Simpson dolls on the front to mock Saddam Hussein's vain try to be good at what he did yeah hitler hitler at least uh you know he, he when he made his black psyop he at least uh picked celebrities that one could have an affair with if one were so inclined um but yeah so if you watch the movie with george clooney three kings you'll see a, a bart simpson doll strapped to the radiator of a humvee and that's why and but yeah, here's something that I encounter, right? And this is an interesting take on catastrophism and crisis management in particular. I think more along the lines of crisis management. Say we're alive at the end, or even not, but near the end. And scenario, scenarios arise in our lives where we are forced to make decisions that are not good. For example, I have to make the decision to either let my my uh, my family get killed. I have to make decisions whether or not to allow my family to starve to death. I have to make decisions as to whether you know the the well being of those who entrusted to my care. And I have to do some things that are not the best. How does one repent of that? And how does one live in the light of the potential of that coming down the pike? I mean, this is, this is, I mean, this is a sort of crisis management that we have to deal with. We need to be prepared for, but how do we best prepare for it? How do we best understand repentance if, if those sorts of things come into our lives where, where we have to be like soldiers on the battlefield and actually do harm to other people to protect the homeland? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, and that's, that's, see, but this is why I keep coming back and harping on repentance in the gospel, because in those times you would need a, you would need a surplus of discernment. You would need a surplus of spiritual maturity. Um, you know, and, and, you know, you might be in, like you're describing, in these terrible scenarios where you must of necessity make a choice, but none of your options are good. Um, but you have to make, but you've got to do something. And in the only way to manage that is with, it, you've already got to build a life of prayer and discernment because you're not going to suddenly magically, you're not suddenly magically going to produce it in the moment. Um, 
you know, it's kind of like, so like when you, when you fight, there's an adrenaline dump that happens and your fine motor skills go out the window and you get tunnel vision and successful fighters have inoculated themselves to that by undergoing the stress of hand-to-hand combat so often that they can just function in that what is they can function in a scenario that to an untrained individual is so terrifying that they freeze and lock up and that's what so like when you watch early mma fights that's what you see you see guys who um they had done they had done training they could physically perform stuff in the dojo but they didn't have the pressure and stress testing that they would need to pull those off uh, under the real stressful conditions of uh, of the octagon. And so they turn into these big flailing ballroom brawls and they look terrible. And then you watch, if you watch modern MMA, it's gorgeous. You can see jumping kicks and spinning kicks and acrobatic stuff and crazy things, but it's because athletes have learned how to function under those conditions. And it turns out that stuff that we thought was just physiologically impossible in a fight back in 1993 is under the condition that the person can function under the stresses of real life violence. So why do I bring up that example? Well, it's kind of the same thing. It's if you're going into the scenario where, where, I have to discern through all of these terrible options and there's real violence and danger. You already need to be pressure tested. You already need to be stress tested. And that's, that's why practicing a life of repentance and the gospel in your daily life, that's what it's there for. So that you're already, you've already, you've already got, you know, hours on the mat under, you know, wrestling under and undergoing combat with those stresses and those pains. Um, when we were when we were prepping the idea of crisis, uh, you know, d- catastrophism. Part of the problem with catastrophism is you're looking at things that me- you're giving you're overvaluing a a catastrophe that you can tilt at, and it usually comes at the cost of actually confronting um, a much more imminent threat. When you have a real imminent crisis. It, it's, it just presents itself. Like it doesn't have time for anxiety. It's just you respond. So like if you've got a big sucking chest wound, like there's not an anxious theorizing about that. There's just the question of how do we close a big sucking chest wound? How do we deal with the body going into shock? Let's get some blood transfusion. Let's get this cauterized, you know, like th- there's just dealing with the reality of the imminent life and death danger. It's like you have a big sucking chest wound. Here's what you do. That's actually much easier to deal with. It's really clear. But when the threat is kind of nebulous and you can intellectualize it, then you start to catastrophize. And that's, that's, I mean, honestly, again, if you're the devil, you would have a field day with that and then get people to cry wolf and, Get them to drive themselves crazy so that, you know, when when you really did make a move, everyone look and go, oh, no, you mean like those loonies who keep thinking this? And then it happens. And it happens probably when no one's listening, like the five foolish virgins in the parable who are not prepared and not sober and not awake, who then expect other people to be prepared for them, saying, give us some of your oil 
so that we can go out and meet him. And the five wise are like, here, hurry up and go buy some. It doesn't help anyone for us to be unprepared and you as well. Like we're ready. Be sober, be vigilant, be watchful, keep your side of the street clean. And whether, you know, whether you're going to meet the bridegroom when he comes because you depart this life or because you're here at the end of days, you, you'll be ready. Um, but you're not going to get there if you're like neglecting the stuff you do know. I think you're right. I think that's a nice, uh, use of that parable that, that you had five who were lazy and not watching at all. Five who were diligent and watching and waiting for the return. But then, so you take the, the five who were unprepared and these people aren't future tripping at all. They're just living life. They're, not doing anything at all. However, then you have these people who I tend to fall into this camp, so I'm not casting any stones at a glass house that I don't already live in here. But you have these people who who want to be prepared. I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. So there's an implied faithfulness in these people, a desire to be ready when the Lord comes, a desire to be saved when the bridegroom comes. A, a watchfulness in that soul already. So there's something good there that Satan is somehow corrupting. And, and how is he corrupting it? I, I think it's because we we tend to want to worry about tomorrow. And the Lord explicitly tells us in the Gospels, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough anxieties of its own. I've got you. I've got this. The lily of the valley, which neither spins nor toils, is dressed more radiantly than Solomon in all of his glory, right? So a flower, they can't do anything but track the sun, is beautifully adorned by God, and it doesn't worry at all. It has no capacity to worry. And yet we, his images and likenesses, worry all the day long. That's a red flag. That is a real red flag that your soul should pick up on and say, if I'm worried about tomorrow and I'm spending my time, I'm spending my effort, I'm expending my thought on something that I can neither prove nor control, I might need to rethink what I'm doing. Just a suggestion. Yeah, and I think our problem is we've confused like We've confused outrage with actually doing anything. So part of the problem with this whole extreme COVID responses from both sides is they're both outraged. They're just both outraged about different stuff. And, and, and they're outraged and belligerent over here. And they're outraged and belligerent over there. And can't everyone see that those guys are the bad guys? No, can't everyone see that those guys are the bad guys? And everyone is outraged and belligerent and it does no one any good. And and, and we have – we like I, I have people like this in my life that the minute – like that there will be – like something will come on TV and it says that this is the new crisis in our society to be outraged about. And suddenly they're talking about it and they're outraged about it. And like five minutes ago, they couldn't have cared less about it or even know, knew it existed and they've done no reading and no research. It's just like – the it, it's it's but 
they have it in their head that the least they can do is be upset. At least we're upset. At least we're outraged. At least we're scandalous. It's less than the least. The least you could do would be apathetic. At least you're doing nothing. But by being outraged and belligerent and illogical on top of it, you're doing less than the least you could do because now you are actively unhelpful. Now you are actively divisive and you are becoming a scandalon. Scandalon means a stumbling block. You are a stumbling block because now you're actively divisive. That is less than the least you could do. I wish you were doing the least you could do because then you wouldn't be in the way. But now you are being less than the least you could do. And it's so unhelpful. And we do that. And it's like, we really have this mentality. We think like, well, at least I'm upset. Who is that helping? It's not helping you. You're miserable now. And it's not helping everyone in your vicinity because they're more miserable for knowing you. Nor is it helping the people actually affected by what you're upset about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like Like when I, you know, you see the people stomping around with their heads down and their fists to the sky about the, the, the tragedy that happened in X location somewhere on the globe today, which I have no intention of flying there to uh, lend assistance, not praying about it, certainly not going to send any money, but I will go on my Facebook page and scream and yell at you for being a jerk because you caused it to happen. Or didn't do anything yeah. about it happening, right? <laughs> That's, yeah. Or, or so you got yeah. super superficial concern for the headline. It's like you know this, this this group in our society is having problems. Cool. Are you planning on like uh, can are, do you, like next week or do you you know are you going down to a community center in the neighborhood in your city where that group of people lives and handing out blankets or you know. Like learning about their culture, or like, like, what are you doing to actively make their lives better? Uh, oh, nothing. I'm just really upset. Well, <laughs> well, they're not. Now I'm emotionally it. exhausted. Yeah, you're going to struggle more with the complexity of life, and it's just going to degenerate into me and being you, apathetic about everything in my life. You didn't help the them. The point where I'm screaming and yelling. And like, you didn't help them. It's like when Presbytera tells my son, like, "Oh, they're starving kids." somewhere else who would love to have this meal. And he's like, even if I eat it, they're not going to get the food. Like they're not getting the food regardless. That's not her point. And he doesn't need to talk back. But at the same time, it's like, like, come on. I just, but it's, it's easier to do that than again, kind of, kind of like, kind of like, see, this this is why I love fight analogies so much. It, again, a lot of the training that didn't work in preparing the first generation of MMA UFC fighters looked really great. It was really flashy and showy. It looked good. It just didn't hold up under pressure. And like training that did hold up under pressure was a lot simpler and and more intensive and just it it wasn't pretty but it worked you know um and the and i i guess that's also the thing it's like you know really actually being significant in your community really benefiting people's lives and really being a person of prayer and forgiveness it's not pretty but it works 
It's not glamorous, but it actually has benefit. Um, but the virtue signaling and the the show is useless. It's the less than the least you can do. Less. You know, I remember those early fights like UFC 1, 2, 3, 4. Uh, that, that really glitzy, flashy guy that would come in from the dojo and do a triple roundhouse kick to the guy's face, that didn't last very long. And like you said, it was flashy, it was glorious, it was glitzy, and wildly inconsistent. You may land a kick on one dude who's completely unprepared for it because you jumped six feet in the air and you tried to kick his head off and you just happened to land it, but you're inconsistent. That sort of thing ends up being very inconsistent. So, But you saw very early on that the guys who could be consistent and grind and overcome those, those guys ended up winning in the end. So what's the grind, right? For, for the Orthodox Christian in this, in this context of crisis management and catastrophizing, how do, how do we get into the grind and win, win in the grind, win in the clinch, win in the guard? I think we've said it multiple times today, and it's through prayer, fasting, and repentance. So... Here, here's here's a little bit of a shift. Well, before you jump into think... yeah, but before you jump into that, the the difference, and this is worth bearing. See, while while the unprepared could do not not do flashy things, today's MMA fighters can do a lot of those flashy things in the cage, and it works. Not because the physics of the human body has changed, but because they are prepared to perform high. They are more better prepared to perform at a high level under the necessary stress and danger, and that's what prayer and repentance does for us. Your, you know, your your flashy virtue signaling will not prepare you. Uh, to undergo the real spiritual trials of the world. But if you do the grind of real spiritual preparation, then you will be prepared to perform highly under, uh, you know, the worst of circumstances. So it's not that it's, it's not that it's not that cool things can't happen. It's that the, uh, the, 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 the way the way is narrow, and there are a few who find it because um, it's it's a grind. It really is. It's not glamorous. Sorry, dude. You were about to say. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, being a one-trick pony who's unprepared and unwilling to do what it takes to be involved with the grind is going to get his butt kicked in the long term. I think something that we see happening uh, both in, in our own personal lives and that we see happening at, at more of a macro level within uh, conservative circles of Orthodox Christianity is uh, I like you've called it the over democratization before I like that term where 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 we somehow have bought this idea in in Orthodox Christian circles that we that we can go to the saints and cherry pick phrases by the saints that fit our narratives and fit our biases that, that we're willing to be on board with these bastions of, of Christian orthodoxy until we're not, that we're willing to exchange the episcopacy for my own papacy, and 
the damage that that's doing uh, to to the Christian faithful and um, to the church, and not that not not that you can harm in a meta way Christ's holy church, but you can certainly do damage here uh, locally and in in the manifestations of time to the church. So, uh, just to, I I mean I'm bringing that up to to make make it known that I have a problem with that. That that these apocalyptic realities and these this crisis management that we're trying to do at our own personal levels and with our own lives does not and should not give us the liberty to look at the church that Christ established with His own precious blood and by the power of the Holy Spirit and call it bad. That that we cannot look at the episcopacy and say the episcopacy is bad. That the bishops as a whole, are bad, that the synods are bad. Um, we're, we're placing ourselves into a harmful relationship with Christ's church at that point, and supposing that we know things that we simply do not know, and that we simply do not have control over. And I, and I know you see that in your own life, and I would be happy to hear yeah. your take on that. Well, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of said it, but it's, yeah, it's, this thing where we we want to side with the we want to side with the voice of the church we want to side with the canons of the church with the bishops of the church as long as they are saying what we want them to say when we want them to say it. like as long as they're championing as long as they're championing our pet interests we're we're pious and we're on their side the minute though right like so when when they're championing our pet interests anybody who disagrees with them or goes against them we're you know we run them down as being unorthodox or as being on you know a compromiser and, and being unfaithful to the gospel and innovating and this and that but then the but then as soon as um they don't agree with us then suddenly we judge them then suddenly we sit in judgment of them rather than looking at our own uh, you know, rather than looking at our at our own agenda and questioning our own criteria, I mean, for example, um, my, you know, this is a, a kind of a it's a it's a high visibility example, but I didn't create it. I mean, it's just there. Um, Metropolitan Irotheos of Nafpaktos, right? He has been for a long time one of our our age's most preeminent Orthodox theologians. He is hailed as a bastion of orthodoxy and, and, and conservative, genuine, um, orthodox teaching. I mean, like, you know, everybody from parishioners to monasteries love his books. And then I saw a picture of him, right, getting uh, on social media, getting vaccinated. And suddenly there are all these people talking about, like in the comments, the comments were terrible. The comments were all about, you know, talking about him as a false teacher or about, uh, how the mighty have fallen, the elector deceived. Well, two seconds ago, this is a man of prayer and discernment whose spiritual assessments you trusted. Well, so now if he's spiritually assessing this situation differently than you, you should at least consider that perhaps it's your perspective which is wrong. Perhaps he's right. If a moment ago, if a moment ago you were able to trust his voice, then you should call into question, like, why can't you trust him now? 
Like why suddenly, you know, why suddenly do you become more of an expert than him? Now, you know, like, no, I'm not vaccinated, right? And I've got I've got concerns and hesitations about it, but I'm I'm looking at this thing and I'm at least trying to parse through and go, there are these voices that I've looked and, and that I've looked to as authoritative in, in terms of spiritual discernment that see a level of safety that I'm not yet comfortable with. And I, I can't just disregard their witness now. Like, it's like, okay, why are you comfortable? Like, the like I know I have a friend, I have someone I'm very close to who is at the monastery of Simenopetra on Mount Athos, and we actually communicate via text of all things. And he told me the whole monastery there is vaccinated. I'm like, well, to you know, I'm like, am I more am I wiser and more discerning than the whole monastery of Simenopetra? Which I'm not, right? Can I would I really put myself up as a bigger spiritual authority than Simenopetra? I couldn't do that. But at the same time, at the same time, my concerns are not disappeared. At the same time, my concerns are not vanished. Um, at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm not planning on presently at the time of this recording, I'm not planning on getting vaccinated, right? At this moment. But I'm trying to look at it soberly and say, I can't discount the spiritual discernment of Simenopetra I also can't discount the concerns and misgivings that I do have. So I'm trying to weigh it soberly and look at it and, and, and not be one of these catastrophizing people. But I'm looking at it. I mean, like, I, I just, I got a real problem with anyone who thinks like, you know, like they, they've read some articles and, and they've read a book and they think like, oh, I know better than the whole monastery of Simenopetra. When two seconds ago, you would have gone to them as prophetic, hesychastic elders who will see into the depths of your soul. Well, well, what happened to that? Like that didn't just disappear. Like, so, and then of course, are there orthodox theological voices that are very anti the vaccination that are very looking at the potentiality for the mark of the beast. Yeah, those voices are there. You know, so it's like, it, it makes it difficult to have discernment. But that's why you stick it quick, closely to repentance. You stick closely to Christ's body. And if we're trusting that this is his body and that the Holy Spirit speaks through his body and bride, the church, then suddenly that doesn't disappear because the members have a cacophony of conflicting voices. But again, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know anybody that I would put up against the whole monastery of Vato, uh, uh, the whole monastery of Simenopetra. And and for that, to, and by the way, for that to happen at the whole monastery of Simenopetra, that means that the Athenite government in Caries was on board with it. So, the consensus of Mount Athos is saying, like. They're not catastrophizing this. Well, that's significant. I'm not saying they can't be wrong, right? They, of course, can be wrong. I'm not saying they can't be wrong. But I'm saying that that, for someone like myself who is inclined to be very distrusting of this whole scenario, that forces me to temper what would otherwise be big sweeping statements coming from me. Right. It forces me to temper it because I have to go. 
well, if I'm trusting these people as spiritual authority, I, I have to take their assessment seriously. I'm not sure what to do with that. But I think that's the most honest I can be, like just sober about it and say, okay, like I have to take that. I have to take that witness seriously. But beyond that, like I'm, but I'm not, I'm not also not willing to make any sweeping statements in the opposite direction. I'm not willing to make any sweeping statements in the opposite direction and go, well, we should just all go do this and you should all, I'm not going to do that either. Like, I don't feel comfortable enough to do that either. That's the thing. I don't like, I, I don't like either one of these Sophie's choices, right? I don't like either extreme on this. And I think if you're on, I, I think both of you are wrong. <laughs> like, like both extremes are not right. And I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm just, I, 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 you know, but I don't know, but that's, that's why, but that's why I, I want some sobriety. Like, you know, our, our, our doctor, our doctor is a, uh, our primary, our family's primary care physician. She's a Greek Orthodox Christian. She's an active canonically participating Greek Orthodox Christian, right? Who feels very comfortable with the medical science behind the vaccines. And her mom died of COVID during the early days of the thing. So she's got like a particular close tie to the thing. So like, if you talk to her and she gives you her side of things, like it's not fanatical at all, but she's definitely has a comfort level that I don't have, but she's also got some expertise that I don't have. I, I, I just, you know, like I, 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 I just want to have more of these sober discussions, you know, even if it is with people high comfort level like her or some of these monks or even people who are not, uh, who, who are maybe even very anti, but it's a sober reasoned out discussion where we're taking things in their proper measure. Um, you know, I, I just, uh, I, and, and then when it's, yeah, when, yeah, when it's, and then when it's frustrating enough, I just look and go, well, you know what? I, I got prayers to say today and I need to make the kids lunches. <laughs> well, I, I hope everybody listening can hear that you and I are actually in the process of struggling through this. Yeah, that this is a real conversation that you and I are having with each other because we simply do not know, and we're stuck to live in the tension of that not knowing, and that's okay. And, it's really, and we're really trying, okay. Yeah, yeah. Ne neither one of us is vaccinated because we don't feel comfortable enough with this right now, um, but we're trying to discern out soberly what is soberly prophetically what what is. You know how ought we relate to this, and I, I, I have not come to a conclusion at this moment. Yeah, the only conclusion at this moment that I'm comfortable with for myself and my family is to wait. Yeah, and, and I'm good with that. I, I, I'm not letting anybody press me into doing it. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm just not. I'm not there yet. And if you are, there's multiple people that I know that are vaccinated. Do I look down on them? or mistrust them or whatever, certainly certainly not. I, I read an article once about happiness and well and being well adjusted and people most capable of actually living lives that are, are philanthropic. And the people that tend to be that way 
are comfortable in the tension and very much willing to listen to dissenting arguments. They like to listen to the other side because they're, they're comfortable with the reality that I don't know everything and you might, maybe, <laughs> and this is suspect, I realize, but you, Father Michael, might, maybe, know something that I don't. Maybe. Right. Long shot. Yeah. Occasionally on something, on something. On something, not everything, something, perhaps. I guess what we're calling people to in today's episode is to chill out, step back, and to really build discernment. St. Anthony the Great called discernment the greatest of Christian virtues. And when you're panicked and catastrophizing, you are not discerning. You cannot do those things all at the same time. Discerning is often very difficult, but we we know that the scriptures tell us and promise us that the man, the anthropos, the human being who asks God for discernment, God will give it to him liberally. So that implies that we need to be praying and asking God one, to show us what to do, that we should be that, that is one of the repentance. few times that is one of the, yeah, that is one of the few times that are, that quotation is one of the few times that uh, our listeners will hear, hear us use the word liberally in a positive light. <laughs> I, I'm trying to replace the word liberal with progressive now. No, liberal isn't it. always bad. Liberal isn't always bad. I, I like to put peanut butter liberally on my sandwiches, and that's a wonderful thing to me. I love lots of peanut butter. But anyway. Copious. Um, copious amounts of peanut butter. Um, copious a, a plethora so, so, a plethora a plethora. A plethora now we're back to big words that we learned in high school um, I don't so, so pray I, for discernment you need to be praying this word means what you are saying no I'm sorry I, I, I was off on a three I was off on a three amigos uh, tangent about plethora if you remember that movie go on go on sorry plethora boss the plethora jefe <laughs> Don't think I like that movie. What you think it means? I really like that movie. It was enjoyable. So anyway, yeah, you know what's great pray, about those movies from that, that like Tell from me. that era? It was like at a time where we could still laugh at ourselves. Like people in that in those movies are being ridiculous. They're and they are having a great time. Like you can laugh at yourself back then, and uh, I laugh at myself all the time. So does everyone see else. In the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> you won't need it. So, my friends. So, in, in, if I had to say one last thing, if you put me on the spot and said, well, what, what would your final thought be, Father Joseph? And it would be a, it would be a, a hybrid between two thoughts that I, that I read during my time with the scriptures this morning. Uh, first, in, in the Psalms from Psalm. I, I read only some of the psalms this morning, uh, particularly 9 and 10. And in nine, uh, chapter 9 of David's psalm, it talks about God being in control and that the snares of the wicked will snare them and that God is the judge at the end of time and there's nothing that happens from from a perspective of, of evil and, and our enemies that that won't come back on them. And then also in chapter 8 of, of Romans, uh, 
particularly that that the that the whole creation is waiting with eagerness for the revealing of the children of God. So so what would the point be? That the God is in control, that he's sovereign, and that again from the Psalms, that that for your sake we are being massacred all the day, treated as sheep to the slaughter. So God's in control. We are promised that we will suffer. And it's all toward the apocalypse of his glory, the unveiling of his glory, like the unveiling of Christ in the uh, Pascha icons, that, that whatever's coming down the pike pales in comparison to the revealing of the Son of God and us, the children of God. So what are you future tripping about, guys? Right? That would be my question. What are you future tripping about? Is God sovereign? And will the unveiling of the second coming and the unveiling for the, to the glory of all creation and to God, the Father of the children of God, isn't that, isn't that great? I mean, what are, you, what are you worried about? What are you tripping about? Yeah, and, and, and it's that, that the apocalypse, right? The unveiling, the revealing of the sons of God. And as sons of God, we ought to trust in him. And I think we, we get just, again, it, once we start catastrophizing, I think my, that's my final thought. Once we start catastrophizing, we stop discerning. And, and we, we only can discern his voice when we have the intimacy and closeness uh, with him that comes from a, the life of prayer and repentance isn't a checklist. It is, a, it is the means by which we actually spend time with the God we claim we worship. So we'll recognize his voice because we've spent time with him. And... You know, in these times, I mean, we're, you know, the topic at hand is one that you and I are still discerning out. But that's our, our, that's our endeavor to be sober and vigilant, to say, like, let's take the time to really be discerning. Let's take the time to be prayerful. Um, and, and then, you know, with the much counsel that goes with that, to stand as blamelessly as we can before the dread judgment seat of Christ with whatever we come to at the end of all that, you know, it's like, uh, you know, but I, 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 so I, I think I would, I would caution our people here to not give into the temptation to go into crisis mode and catastrophize rather to be, to have to have that peace of soul and that that discernment because the, the you know one thing that the saints are always so clear about is that that like the I think Saint John Christum he he said that it was um he he enumerated I got to paraphrase I don't remember the exact quote but I read it like the other day and it was uh it was something to the effect that um you know disease and calamity and war and should all the fury of the enemy fall upon him it would not shake or frighten a righteous man and. Yeah, we, 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 that's what we, we've got to build, that steadfastness to where we can be that righteous man or woman that, that doesn't buckle under and catastrophize. Let's, let's discern this out. Let's pray. Even if we have to come to a decision quickly, 
we're not we're not doing it with panic. Right. Listen. Many of the decisions that we, I mean, uh, when, when we were in, in Brookline, uh, our philosophy professor, and you don't know the end from the beginning. And most, if not all of the decisions that you make in your life will be imperfect. We have to be good with that. Your decisions are not perfect. Your knowledge is not perfect. Yet, we have a faithful and good God. Meditate on his word both day and night. Recount his wonders. For he will be gloriously unveiled in us, his children. Pray and endeavor to stay close to him. Because if we stay close to him, the words of Chrysostom will be true. Amen. All right. Well said, Father Joseph. Father Joseph, thank you for recording today. And uh, for uh, I thank everyone for joining us for kind of this live discernment session you know i think this was definitely a kind of a real time for us processing of important points not just on the topic of hand but uh, of how we just go about discerning to begin with and i hope uh and pray that there will have been some benefit for your own lives of discernment in there as well may the holy trinity bless and protect you always keep fighting the good fight and we will see you next time on the battlefield mm-hmm.